baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The central question at this point is simply put, what did the president know and when did he know it? It was a salient moment in American history, the Watergate scandal. It took down the sitting president and dozens of men around him who misused their office in a quest to stay in power. Time gets telescoped, so you think this was happening quickly. But their stories didn't come fast and furiously. They were spread out over a long period of time, but they did keep coming with more and more revelations that led inexorably first to the outside of the White House, then inside the White House, then closer and closer to the Oval Office. If the many allegations made to this day are true, then the burglars who broke into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee at the Watergate were in effect breaking into the home of every citizen of the United States. And if these allegations proved to be true, what they were seeking to steal was not the jewels, money, or other property of American citizens, but something much more valuable, their most precious heritage, the right to vote in a free election. This week on 880 In-Depth, the 50th anniversary of Watergate, its legacy, and are there parallels to what's happening in Washington today? I think at the end of the day, Watergate is a weirdly hopeful story. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. It was June 17, 1972, when five burglars were caught in the middle of the night breaking into the Washington, D.C. offices of the Democratic National Committee, located at the famous Watergate Complex. Good evening. We have a mystery story out of Washington. Five people have been arrested and charged with breaking into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the middle of the night. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. Charles Osgood broke the story for CBS News. The investigation took two years to complete. It led to the highest levels of the U.S. government. The crimes and ensuing cover-up resulted in criminal convictions, firings, and ultimately, the resignation of President Richard Nixon. It has become evident to me that I no longer have a strong enough political base in the Congress to justify continuing that effort. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Let's begin with a little context. Watergate is an event that has been so well documented over the years, but it's one that we pretty profoundly misunderstand. That's Garrett Graff. He recently sat down with CBS News correspondent Robert Costa for a piece on CBS Sunday Morning. The story of Watergate is one of the great tragedies of American politics. And he adds, we are still piecing it together. Part of what's so fascinating is that the two central questions of the burglary itself are still unsettled. We don't know who ordered the burglary, and we don't really know what the burglars were up to that night. He has put it all together in a new book, appropriately called Watergate, A New History. 
published by Simon & Schuster, part of Paramount Global, which includes CBS News. The adage that the cover-up is always worse than the crime, I think actually turns out not to be true in Watergate. It was Nixon's crimes that were quite terrible, myriad and manifold. Ultimately, 69 people were indicted or charged with crimes. Graf traces Watergate back to Richard Nixon's lifelong sense of grievance and paranoia. Just think how much you're going to be missing. You don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Richard Nixon woke up every morning angry. He woke up every morning feeling under siege. And he is someone sort of at every stage of his political career who chooses the low road. Nixon's low road spawned a sprawling and unpredictable culture of criminality. But the president wasn't looped in on the Watergate break-in. The funniest bit of the cover-up is that Nixon can't fathom why anyone would actually want to break into the Democratic Party offices and, and can't believe that anyone would be that stupid. Good evening, I'm Roger Mudd. Washington has been inundated by another massive set of Watergate transcripts. The Watergate scandal came out in dribs and drabs over the course of the next many months, with news organizations like the Washington Post, New York Times, and CBS News finding connections between the burglars and the committee to re-elect the president. Within a year, a special Senate investigations panel began looking into Watergate with televised public hearings that riveted Americans. We are beginning these hearings today in an atmosphere of utmost gravity. The questions that have been raised in the wake of the June 17 break-in strike at the very undergirding of our dem democracy. If the many allegations made to this date are true, then the burglars who broke into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee at the Watergate were in effect breaking into the home of every citizen of the United States. And if these allegations proved to be true, what they were seeking to steal was not the jewels, money, or other property of American citizens, but something much more valuable, their most precious heritage, the right to vote in a free election. Soon after that first trial, there were hearings in the Senate. Uh, that was really, I think, when the, when the lid came off, those Senate hearings. Uh, that's when John Dean, the president's counsel, his attorney, the White House lawyer, uh, came and testified that Nixon was indeed involved in the cover-up. And that really was the beginning of the end. If you were concerned because the action was known to you to be illegal, because you thought it improper or unethical, that you thought the prospects for success were very meager, and you doubted the reliability of Mr. Liddy, what on earth would it have taken to decide against that plan? The fact that I was involved in obstruction of justice, the fact that I assisted another in perjured testimony, the fact that I made personal use of funds that were in my custody. It's far easier to talk about these things myself than to talk about what others did. Republican Howard Baker was vice chairman of the Senate Watergate Committee. The central question at this point is simply put, what did the president know and when did he know it? He started asking the question, what is, what did the president know and when did he know it? Those questions were designed to help Nixon. Those questions were designed to show that Nixon had nothing to do with Watergate. 
Instead, those questions brought out, brought out the fact that Nixon was tied deeply into Watergate. And what happened was that Howard Baker was stunned. Uh, but instead of lying about the fact, he accepted the fact, and then he worked in a bipartisan way to bring out the truth. Former New York Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman was a junior member of the House Judiciary Committee, who would a year later take up articles of impeachment against the president. Watergate showed that we needed the system of checks and balances that was set up by the framers, who feared most of all untrammeled power. Which has some people making comparisons to former President Trump and his effort to overturn what multiple courts found to be a fair and legal election. And now he's trying to pollute the system to remove checks so that he can be uh, placed into power uh, again, despite the fact that we're supposed to have a democratic system. This is extremely dangerous. It's a form of fascism. Today, Leslie Stahl is an award-winning journalist from the CBS News program 60 Minutes. Fifty years ago, she was a cub reporter given an assignment to cover a case few people cared about. There was intense polarization then, as there is now. I mean, we think it's never been this bad, but that's just not the case. Um, And, I mean, we are talking about corruption in the White House. We are talking about uh, threats to democracy, as we did then. More from our conversation with Leslie Stahl in a few minutes. But first, some of the most compelling testimony about Watergate came during congressional committee hearings. Remember, Brooklyn Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman was a freshman member of the House Judiciary Committee 50 years ago. Now 80, Holtzman spoke to WCBS reporter Peter Haskell about the legacy of the scandal. I think Watergate changed politics in the sense that it established a kind of accountability for people in government who engage in criminal conduct. Uh, In Watergate, President Nixon was forced to resign when his criminality and his abuses of power were uh, disclosed to the American people, and almost all of his top aides went to jail. Uh, They would try the attorney general, uh, his two top aides in the White House, his White House counsel, uh, and a a whole host of people in his campaign. So it established that uh, there is a form of accountability. It also established that there's uh, there's corruption in high places. I'm not sure that the American people really were as aware of that before Watergate, Um, but uh, I think the important thing was to establish the principle of accountability. It also changed politics in the sense that the press uh, became energized in trying to uncover uh, scandals and misdeeds and misconduct and corruption in high places. In terms of the the public perception post Watergate, did that lead to uh, an, uh, I don't know an environment of cynicism when it came to viewing politicians and politics? Well, I think uh, there was uh, more cynicism, but I think Watergate also taught us another lesson, which is despite the misdeeds of a president. Um, that there are parts of the system that will show integrity and effectiveness. Yes, in Watergate, we saw the institution of the presidency degraded and um, undermined by Nixon, by his criminality and his abuses of power. On the other hand, 
We saw the judiciary stand up to him. We saw it in a conservative Republican judge, Sirica. We saw it in a unanimous Supreme Court, including justices appointed by Nixon, who insisted that the tapes be released. We saw it in a White House, in, I'm sorry, in the, in the House of Representatives in Congress, in the House Judiciary Committee that held bipartisan uh, hearings and debate on the articles of impeachment and press the United States. We saw it in the Senate, uh, also a bipartisan uh, action by the Senate Watergate Committee in holding hearings and uncovering evidence. So I think what we saw was that the other institutions of government rose to check the president and check the presidency, and that should have given American people a kind of sense of confidence that the system could be preserved and could work. Today, it's a very different story. We have a situation in which the the former president of the United States engaged in abusive and apparently criminal conduct, and where he's lied about uh, his behavior, he's lied about the election, and he's trying even today to change the institutions of government so that they can't act as a check on him uh, by supporting changes in local election uh, officials who will support his version of the lie, who are prepared and may be prepared to undermine fair and free elections. Uh, This is very disturbing and dangerous because Watergate showed that we needed the system of checks and balances that were set up by the framers, who feared most of all untrammeled power. And now we have, uh, in the person of Trump, someone who's seeking that kind of untrammeled power in order to take power in the United States without the, without the will of, in, without the will of the people and contrary to the will of the people. He lost the last election in 2020. And uh, he's claiming that he really won it, although the evidence is overwhelming that that's not true. And now he's trying to pollute the system to remove checks so that he can be uh, placed into power uh, again, despite the fact that we're supposed to have a democratic system. This is extremely dangerous. It's a form of fascism. And I hope that the lesson of Watergate will be that the American people just won't tolerate that. What's striking about Watergate is that Republicans, like Howard Baker, kept an open mind and eventually found Nixon had broken the law. We will inquire into every fact and follow every lead, unrestrained by any fear of where that lead might ultimately take us. The first time that uh, Republicans joined with Democrats was in the Senate Watergate Committee where Howard Baker, who was the number two person, the ranking Republican, was a big supporter of Nixon's, and he he started asking the question, what is what did the president know, and when did he know it? Those questions were designed to help Nixon. Those questions were designed to show that Nixon had nothing to do with Watergate. Instead, those questions brought out, brought out the fact that Nixon was tied deeply into Watergate. And what happened was that Howard Baker was stunned. Uh, But instead of lying about the fact, he accepted the fact, and then he worked in a bipartisan way to bring out the truth. 
and House Judiciary Committee, I think people started off uh, with a clean slate. Nobody really knew what impeaching a president involved. It hadn't happened for almost 100 years. Nobody knew the standards. Everybody was faced with the same situation. How do we understand the law? What are the standards for removing a president? And then what are the facts? And the facts were overwhelming. We got facts from the grand jury. We got facts from the Senate Watergate Committee. I served on the House Judiciary Committee at that time. We had overwhelming facts. And more than a third of the Republicans on the committee said, you know, we're going to follow the facts. And it wasn't joining with Democrats. It was following the facts. And we had Southern Democrats who were who represented districts that were as pro-Nixon as any Republican district, and yet they followed the facts, too, even though both they and the Republicans who voted for impeachment were facing serious political repercussions. But they did their job. They followed the Constitution. They followed their oath of office. They followed the facts. And if, if people do that, then we can have a system that works. If they don't, and they're just beholden to the cult of a single person, and it's uh, might makes right, powers power over everything, then we're doomed as a country. You were part of the Judiciary Committee. When the hearing started, what was your expectation? Well, we'd never gone... When, when, when the, the debate started on the Articles of Impeachment, by that time, it was very clear to most members how they were going to vote because they had studied the facts and the Constitution. Um, I think I was surprised that there were the number of Republicans who supported impeachment. I had no anticipation as to what that was going to be. I was also surprised at how many Americans were paying such close attention to what we were doing on the committee. That was very... Uh, that was astonishing and also very important. I was very glad to know that because this debate was really about their democracy, about their country, about our country. Uh, so those were things that I didn't fully expect. But when we started the impeachment process way back in October 1973, I don't think anybody knew what was going to happen. And by the way, that only happened because the American people insisted that Congress act. That was after President Nixon fired the special prosecutor who was trying to get the tapes that would expose whether Nixon was telling the truth or lying about the cover-up and payment of hush money and so forth and other criminal acts. So the American people played a big, big role in bringing Nixon to heel. And the American people need to play a big, big role in bringing Donald Trump, Trump, his supporters, his ilk, his anti-democratic allies to heal as well. The fact that so many people were not just interested, but really riveted, why do you think that was? I think people were riveted because they were appalled at seeing a president abuse the power of his office in that way. And they were very, very concerned about how our democracy would respond. Would it respond? Could it respond? Could it protect us from an abusive president, a criminal president? Remember, 
Nixon was an unindicted co-conspirator named by the Watergate grand jury. So uh, I think that was critical. Um, but I think that I think the American people cared deeply about their democracy and how it worked and was, whether it was going to work. And it did. With the January 6th hearings underway, Elizabeth Holtzman is getting a sense of deja vu. She's hoping the system can hold. What I see on the January 6th committee are members of Congress who are competent and capable and sincere and honest and informed and professional doing their jobs. And that's what I think the American people want to see in their elected officials. They don't want to see grandstanding. They don't want to see... Uh, showboating. They want to see people doing their jobs in an honest, competent, professional way. And that's what, that's what they're seeing. And I think so far the committee's done an excellent job. Do you see anything happening that might get more Republicans to try to, I don't know, turn on the pre- former president, so to speak? Well, I think uh, what can get uh, the members of Congress to do the right thing is if they see support from the American people for their doing the right thing. And that's what happened in Watergate. The impeachment process did not come about because the press wanted it or there were some pollsters who told the Democrats to do it. Oh, no. The impeachment proceedings in Watergate came about because the American people, after Nixon fired the special prosecutor after the Saturday Night Massacre, said, we are not a banana republic, we are a democratic society, we have a constitution, we believe in the rule of law, and you, Congress, have to act. And they demanded that. If the American people demand, and I'm not saying Democrats demand, or Republicans, or Independents, or Greens, or Blues, or whatever they are, but if the American people, as Americans, having had a history, hundreds of years of history of the rule of law, If Americans demand that their representatives act in good conscience, then we will see the Congress act in an appropriate way. And if they don't, and if they let them act as they will, the American people don't insist on democracy, they're not going to have one. That's what Benjamin Franklin said after the Constitution was written in in Philadelphia. He said, (laughs) we've created a republic if you can keep it. And it's up to us to keep it, all of us, not one little group, not one state, not one region, but the American people. And if we don't really find our democracy precious, uh, we want to drop it in the gutter, that's where it will be. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's amazing to look back at how Watergate started, a two-bit burglary that few paid attention to in the beginning. But one of those reporters back then was Leslie Stahl. We wanted to hear her story, and she told it to our Steve Scott. I was uh, the newest reporter at the CBS Washington Bureau, and to be honest with you, I got assigned because 
frankly, no one thought it was a big deal story. Uh, They thought, as the White House was saying, that it was a third-rate burglary, a local B&E. So why not just send the new girl? The reason they they even sent anybody was because it was a break-in at the Democratic Party headquarters. Did you have a sense, any sense at the time, that this was going to turn out to be a really big deal? Well, I covered the arraignment. uh, And yes, in the courtroom, you began to realize that this this was a much deeper, larger story because the burglars had hundred dollar bills with consecutive numbers on them. There were strange passports. Uh, One of the burglars was asked where he worked and he whispered the CIA. And I remember there was one other reporter there, only one other. And he was a print reporter with the Washington Post. And I leaned over and I said, did he say CIA? And he said he did. And that guy was Bob Woodward. So (laughs) he was there early uh, and I was. We were the only two. Was that a tipping point when you said, hey, wait a minute, this is going to be more than just a routine burglary trial? Well, it was a tipping point in my head, but no one else. Well, in Bob Woodward's head. But that was about it in that very, very early time. Uh, that was just a couple of days after the burglary. So no one, very, very few reporters thought this was going to be a story. The trial comes to an end. Some of the burglars pleaded guilty. G. Gordon Liddy and others did not. But uh, they ended up going to jail. Did you think, OK, we're done? Oh, my goodness, no. Uh, so, Woodward and Bernstein... Every couple of weeks now, you think time gets telescoped, so you think this was happening quickly, but their stories didn't come fast and furiously. They were spread out over a long period of time, but they did keep coming with more and more revelations that led inexorably first to the outside of the White House, then inside the White House, then closer and closer to the Oval Office. Um Soon after that first trial, there were hearings in the Senate. Uh, That was really, I think, when the when the lid came off those Senate hearings. Uh, That's when John Dean, the president's counsel, his attorney, the White House lawyer, uh, came and testified that Nixon was indeed involved in the cover up. And that really was the beginning of the end. The discovery of President Nixon's Oval Office tapes must have been a holy cow or holy something. Moment. Yeah, <laughs> holy cow is, uh, that doesn't even begin to describe uh, what everybody was feeling when that revelation came as a huge surprise. You know, reporters often knew who was going to testify the next day and basically what they were going to say. And we had leaks. I got leaks myself out of the hearing room about who was going to say what in the next couple of days. But this, uh, there was a a witness, his name was Alexander Butterfield, and he came in, he was a surprise witness, we didn't even know who he was. And when he said there was a taping system in the White House, first there was dead silence in the hearing room, and then there were gasps, literally gasps, because this was completely unexpected, and instantly dawned on all of us that now we were going to know if John Dean, the counsel, was telling the truth about whether President Nixon was involved in the cover-up or not, which was what Nixon was saying. I'm not involved. 
You know, I was just a kid in 1973, but I remember watching those Senate Watergate hearings on TV. They really gripped the nation. They did. It was very unlike what's going on right now on the January 6th hearings, um, because the public was um, had nowhere, no, no other television to watch in those days. There was nowhere. There was no Fox to turn to for counter programming. There was no counter programming. All three networks, and that's what there was, covered the hearings live. Um, and we reprised the, the highlights every night in, in primetime specials. So the whole country was riveted. It was very dramatic. Uh, there were the, the panel of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, they, I think there was maybe one more Democrat than Republicans. The Democrats controlled Congress in those days. Uh, it was very serious. Uh uh, and 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 the way they organized it, the hearings started with the lower level people and built in almost a narrative up until you got inside the Oval Office. So you had to know, you had to hear what was going to happen the next day. You just did. You had to tune in. And you said you were a kid. I'm sure you felt the same way. You have to hear what's going to happen tomorrow. I wonder if you see any parallels between the Senate Watergate hearings and the House January 6th insurrection hearings going on now? Um, the parallel breaks down a little bit in, in the way the public is exposing this. Um, I don't think the public is as riveted, but the country is as polarized. There was a split then between those who supported the president and those who didn't, as there is now. There was intense polarization then, as there is now. I mean, we think it's never been this bad, but that's just not the case. Um, And, I mean, we are talking about corruption in the White House. We are talking about uh, threats to democracy, as we did then. You know, people forget, but there really was a fear at one point that Nixon would stage a coup. And we've heard that with, with Trump, too. We heard that when... At, at various points along the way here, as we did then. So, you know, the threat to democracy was in the air then. And the idea that the president was lying, the president had committed acts against the Constitution, trying to use branches of the government to support the president politically. Uh, there were many perils, yes. Leslie, I recall in 2017, you joined us on stage at an event marking 50 years of WCBS News Radio. You said then that you thought the country was more divided back in the Watergate days than it was then at the current time. I wonder if the events of the past five years have perhaps changed your opinion on that. Uh, yes, I think I think it may be equal, may be equal. You know, there was more violence back then. We forget the Vietnam War was raging. Uh, We had the draft, and that made college kids come out into the streets. College kids were actually shot at on college campuses. One kid died at at Kent State. Um, There there was war between the cops and the protesters. There were protesters all over the country against the war, against Nixon, um, there were inner city riots. There, there was a lot that was 
more intense and more violent than we're seeing now. So uh, there were there was an air of danger back then. I mean, I think there's a huge threat to our political system, our democracy, the Constitution now as it was then. But um, there was just uh, a, a stronger sense of physical danger then than there is now. As we put a bow on this, as you look back 50 years, what was the impact of Watergate, starting with that seemingly innocuous break-in on this nation? Oh, it was enormous. It was enormous. My mind, of course, goes first to the press. Now, Nixon came after the press. Uh, our reputations had faltered. Um, but Watergate resurrected the press uh, in many ways. The journalists were seen as heroes, uh, saving the union in a way. And all the smart kids for uh, several years thereafter wanted to be reporters. So reputation for the fourth estate, as we're called, was greatly improved. I think attitudes toward the presidency uh, suffered. I think people were idealistic about the Oval Office up until then. And when people realized that the president had lied, uh, attitudes toward trusting public officials changed. We became so less idealistic about our leaders, and we've never really fully recovered from that. Leslie, you mentioned journalism. Did your work, the work of Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, and others basically spawn a whole new genre of journalism, investigative journalism? Oh, you bet. You bet. Uh, we became um, much more adversarial than we had been, much, much less protective of public officials, and they're much more concerned with their personalities, uh, with their foibles. Um, much more skeptical, much less willing to accept the word of the White House uh, and probably other other seats of government as well. So journalism became far more adversarial after Watergate, definitely. So how does Watergate play out with what we're seeing today in Washington, D.C.? CBS News correspondent Robert Costa with author Garrett Graff. Watergate was a slow boil. The episode grew steadily more sinister, no longer a caper. For almost two years, many Americans and Nixon's allies mostly shrugged at the blockbuster reports from Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, and so many others. We have concluded that a large secret fund was assembled in the Nixon campaign organization. One of the things that's so hard to recreate and understand now, looking back, is there was no sense that the president could lie to the American people. Things uh, have changed, Garrett. Things have changed today. But Americans began to wake up to Watergate in 1973, when congressional hearings kicked off. Everyone seemed to be watching. I began by telling the president that there was a cancer growing on the presidency. About 80% of the country was watching this play out on television. We're now chatting as the January 6th committee begins its hearings. Is that level of attention even possible today? It's definitely not possible at this scale. The average American household that summer watches almost a full work week's worth of the hearings. 
30 to 40 hours of congressional hearings is just mind-boggling. The bombshell revelation Nixon had taped himself. Mr. Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? Yes, sir. Fellow Republicans largely stood by Richard Nixon through much of it. My view is it's wrong for the president to resign. It's wrong for him to be forced out of office. Then, in August 1974, a smoking gun. Good evening. The Republican Party today gave up on Richard Nixon. Newly released White House tapes showed the president had obstructed justice. Each understand that they in Congress have a role to hold the executive branch in check. We uh, had a good thorough discussion. And so the thing that really stood out to me in going back and looking at this story 50 years later is the way that the Republicans in Congress acted as members of the legislative branch first and only second as Republicans. Watergate would come to upend not just Americans' trust in government, but Washington itself. You say Watergate turned Washington mean. Watergate, I think, does turn Washington mean because it in many ways exposes this sort of much more distrusting and antagonistic mindset that we now see permeate so much of our politics. What made the Trump years different than the Nixon years? Two things, Fox News and members of Congress who acted as Republicans first and members of Congress second. That's it? That's it. There were a few Republicans who stood up to Trump after January 6th, but that was a short list. It's a short list, and it's gotten shorter ever since. The so-called Troopergate inquiry. We are still living with Watergate. Deflategate. Pizzagate. Scandal after scandal. It is being called, I'm sorry, Sharpiegate. But Garrett Graff insists that ultimately, Watergate is a tale of checks and balances, and of how the American system can endure. I think at the end of the day, Watergate is a weirdly hopeful story because it shows what it takes to protect American democracy. It takes a while, and it's not necessarily an easy process to get there. But the system in Watergate worked. Eyes are now on the January 6th committee to see if faith in American democracy can be restored. That's it for 880 In-Depth this week. The executive producers are Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell. Thanks to our guests Elizabeth Holtzman and Leslie Stahl. 880 In-Depth gives us a chance to focus on an important issue in our community. You can find us at WCBS880.com, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your audio. And please subscribe. I'm Michael Wallace. Thanks for listening.
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 